welcome to the Marisol Nichols podcast. I'm Marisol Nichols. I'm an actor, mom, and I fight for social justice. Ride along as I talk about going undercover to take down child predators. Think it's not happening in your neighborhood? You might want to think again. Some of the topics in this episode are graphic in nature and may be disturbing to some listeners, especially children. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Marisol Nichols podcast. My guest today is my dear friend, Lieutenant Mark Evans, who is the officer in charge of human trafficking for the Los Angeles Police Department. He's a 28-year veteran of the LAPD, and he is a nationally recognized expert in human trafficking, pimping, pandering, and prostitution-related crimes, not to mention the author of the extremely informative book entitled Selling the Daughters of America. Welcome, Lieutenant Evans. Thank you, Marisol. You're welcome. You like how formal I am calling you Lieutenant Evans? No, like. Okay. So I want to start right away with something that you say in the beginning of your book, Selling the Daughters of America, which, by the way, if, if anyone wants to download, it's available on Amazon. Yeah, it's uh, Amazon. Perfect. Thank you. So you state... Despite what many Americans mistakenly think, human trafficking is a gross and violent crime happening in the United States, affecting thousands of young girls and their families. How long ago did you write this book? I'm going from memory. I think I wrote that book in 2014 or 2015. I think January 2015 is when I actually published that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been interesting because as... Uh, awareness of human trafficking has ramped up and it's become more prevalent in society. Yeah. Um, some people, they've actually commented like, wow, you were really on the front of the wave of this. You really knew. And yeah. Well, I saw it for many years. And the reason I wrote that book is because so many people, they incorrectly believe that human trafficking is an international crime. Right. And while that is true, there's also domestic trafficking, which is happening all over the United States. It could happen from Florida to Los Angeles. It could happen from A Street to B Street, from apartment A to apartment B, and even bedroom A to bedroom B. Right. And so I wrote the book to try to raise awareness for you know parents, aunts, uncles, school teachers, so people uh, could know about the problem because mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that education helps prevent victimization. Yeah, yeah I think that's here we met. Uh, I don't remember when we right? met, but yeah, I probably wrote it a little before we we met. I remember yeah. right along we went on. Yeah, and I and it was around that time anyway. before. So yeah, so thank you for saying all that because back in 2014, it was it was a different scene, right? Yeah, I think things have been different. And a little bit further back, like there's there's just a lack of awareness, mm -hmm. even among um, like prosecution and right. stuff like that. I'm not knocking any of them. Just we needed to raise awareness and a social awareness ramped up and mm -hmm. people demanded prosecution of human traffickers and the laws got better and the prosecution got better. And so we are where we are today. And I, I think we, it's been significantly improved. Yeah, I think so too. Now you created the human trafficking unit within the LAPD, which first of all is amazing, right? So you've been doing this for a long time. Can you give us the scale of what you're seeing now compared to back in 2014, 2015 kind of thing? Uh, so the scale in what regard? Give me, because in terms a lot of, of like scale. Yeah, yeah. I guess in terms of, you know, you mentioned that like people weren't even at the time, like DAs weren't exactly sure how to even prosecute this crime, right? 
now everyone's sort of more caught up to the scene here. So can you sort of compare, I guess, the human trafficking cases, the what you ran into back then, as opposed to now, whether it's prosecutions or cases or things that you're seeing? Has it gotten more sophisticated? Has it gone into neighborhoods that you never knew? Can you sort of give us like a then and now? Yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah. So, so in the old days, which is, it's very interesting. I told you on the way in today, hmm. I, I drove into Hollywood and that's where I started doing this back in 1998. Right. And to be very honest, and I'm not being dramatic about it, I started in the human trafficking world before human trafficking laws were even on the books. Because right. in 1998, we were dealing with all these issues, but human trafficking laws didn't get on the books until 2000. So that just shows you the evolution there until today. Right. Back in those days, we would bring um, cases and they would be pimping cases. We would pursue pimping cases against people and we would um, present the paperwork to the, uh, to the district attorneys and, and we would have trouble getting cases filed because there was always the element of the victim was a prostitute. Right. And so you got you to have that person up on the stand and that might be perceived as something negative. Well, now let's fast forward. And, and it, let me say one more thing. It was very difficult to get cases filed back in those days. So like just for the uh, you know, people in the audience who are not uh, police officers or don't watch Law & Order or anything like that, when you say, you know, for like younger, younger people. So as a police officer, when you make an arrest or you arrest somebody for doing something wrong, you need the other side, which is the district attorney to go, oh yeah, okay, we'll throw this guy into jail or we'll, we'll charge him with X, Y, and Z. And so what you're saying is back in 1998, you would see cases of girls, I'm assuming held sort of against their will and forced to do these things. And you had a hard time getting these other people to go, Oh, like, oh, that poor girl, because they saw it in a way that looked like she was there voluntarily. That was, that's an element of it. Yeah. Okay, good. And Thank so you. now to, to show you the paradigm shift, and this is one of the things I'm like literally the most proud of, not, mm. not that I did it, but it's okay. because, can, I didn't can... do, I didn't do this, but just society has caused this evolution that I'm proud of. So to, to put into perspective now, and I'm yeah. going to go from memory, so don't hold my feet to the fire, but I'm that's not fine. making we'll up look it up yeah. afterwards. But, um, so our task force, when I started the human trafficking task force, we started making arrests and our arrests, our, our, our filing rate was upwards of 95, 96%. What does that mean? Filing rate? So that means every case we had, let's just say we had a hundred. I submitted that and presented it to the district attorney for filing consideration to consider filing charges against the suspect. Ah, thank you. Okay. 96 out of the hundred were filed. Wow. That was very different than in the old days. And usually those other 4%, like, why did we mess up? How come those didn't get filed? Most of the time, it was because I had a new undercover officer who didn't understand a certain principle. And we had to let the case go because they, they didn't talk in the right way. We needed them to talk when they're working undercover. And it just compromised the case a little bit. So we dropped the, the charges were not filed. And it was a learning lesson for some of my newer people. Right. So can you talk about this undercover thing? Cause we don't even, we didn't get into that yet. So tell me about like some of the things that you would do back then undercover to, to get to these cases, to find these, these people. So I have to be careful. How I explain that cause I can't tip off people how we do the work we do. Fair. I'll just tell you this yeah. right now. We do sting operations against human traffickers and yeah. I have a group of undercover people who are phenomenal workers mm -hmm. and they go and we have, Techniques that we utilize 
to go after these traffickers. Right. And so I mentioned our filing rate was around 96% and our conviction rate of those 96 was 100%. Wow. So we ratcheted up the way we worked. We did, we, we took on new methodology. Um, we started use, using, you know, different technology where we could record hmm. things and stuff like that. I apologize. I got to be vague because I can't tip I the crooks how to do that, how to defeat us. Sure. But, um, but we, we made it so that instead of telling a story for the jury or for the DA to consider filing this case, we just simply said, watch this. And that really empowered our cases. And, and that's why that the filing rate skyrocketed. And that's why the conviction rate skyrocketed too, because most of those, the people are just copping out because they, they're like, I can't fight this. It's, it's hands down. There's too much evidence. They know that they can't fight it in court. They're going to get caught. That's it. Exactly. So, okay. so you present a powerful case and you get powerful results. And, and then the thing I want to speak to regarding the, the district attorneys, that's, that's, been revolutionized as well as part of this paradigm shift because before we would walk in and we would talk to the DAs and say, hey, here's our paperwork. And they would be exasperated because it's long and they didn't have the ideal victim. But now we have dedicated prosecution teams for human trafficking. Wow. We have vertical prosecution. What does that mean? Um, I, I present something to somebody, mm -hmm. a, a case to somebody, and they stick with it the entire way. They see it through. So they file the case, they prosecute the case, they, they present it at the trial, and so on. So they stick with it from point A all the way to the finish line. Okay. Where in other cases, you have a person who files it, they hand it off to another DA, that DA handles it, and it's going to go to you know maybe a prelim, or it's going to go to an actual jury trial, and then maybe another person handles it. What's prelim is preliminary, preliminary hearing. Okay, good. Yep. And so now the DAs, these are specialists who are assigned to handle human trafficking cases. That's amazing. And we start with them and we finish with them. And that has really made the prosecutions very successful and powerful. They yeah. understand the issues and they understand the work we do. So now things have evolved where we don't have to go and say, hey, please, this is a good case. Come on, just listen to me. We, we use the new technology that we have. Mm -hmm. Which we we're going to get into. Mm -hmm. To the extent we can we'll get into, yes. Okay, okay, okay. And we present the cases, they see it, and like, wow, this is great. And they file. And so our filing rate has significantly skyrocketed. Right, because right. Of that. And so I think now, that that's great. I think it's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. So I, I didn't realize, probably like most people, like when I first started going into this, right, how much of the thing hangs on the DA. Like how much, like you think us lay people, right? When we look at it, we're like, why don't the police just go get them? Why doesn't the police just put them in jail? And like, you guys get, you guys, it's all on your shoulders. No one goes, why didn't, why doesn't the DA prosecute? It's not the first thing that they think about. They go after you guys. So the fact that like it takes two, and I don't think people actually know that. Like you can make an arrest for anyone for anything, but if the other side doesn't say yes, we'll prosecute, there's no case. There's nothing and it goes away. So that's that's really impressive. And I just want to make sure that people listening actually understand that. Yeah. Could I add one thing to that? Because I think you can add whatever you want. I think it's just important is yeah. now with the vertical prosecution and we start with an attorney and and we continue through the, the whole process with the same attorney. Yeah. They also give us feedback like, OK, we're not going to file the case yet. Go back out and do some more follow up and get this evidence. See if oh. you can get this. And so we come back and we make our case stronger. 
because of their input. That's great. And, and if we, if the evidence is there, the evidence is there. Of course, we're never going to manufacture evidence, but they give us things that might, we can focus on that maybe we overlooked and they, they have us go out and we'll obtain new, uh, evidence if it's available. And then we'll come back and represent the case and like, all right, let's do this. And it just made it that much more solid. That's great. So I, I love, I love when human traffickers are convicted and sent to prison. I don't know what it is about it, but I, I like that. Because <laughs> I think that these people are, yeah. I think they're, um, they're monsters in society. Mm-hmm. They, they victimize the most vulnerable people. They focus on, mm-hmm. um, women and children and there's, there's male victims as well. I know. And, um, and, and, and it makes me sick to be honest, to see the, the evil that these people commit. I would say most of the human traffickers that I've dealt with, and I've dealt with over 4,000, I just stopped counting at 4,000. That number's astonishing, by the way. Yeah. And, and I, I've noticed that many human traffickers are sociopaths. Mm. They don't care about punching you in the face. They don't care about, you know, victimizing you and hurting you, raping you, sexual assaults. They, They don't, care about that. Right. And you know, most people, they were raised, you know, you would, you don't want to hurt other people. You don't want to hurt women and children, but that's not how human traffickers are. Unfortunately. Uh, it's, it's always astonishing to me that, that how do you as a person see someone else in so much pain and in so much grief or so much terror and not have that instinct to help and instead have an instinct to hurt. I'm just sidestepping here real quick, but I see these really, really cool bars on your uniform there. What are those? Uh, the, these are hash marks and each hash mark represents uh, five years. So five, 10, 15, 20, 25. I'm at 28. So I don't earn the next one tie at 30 years. So I'm still working towards that one. I'm, I'm curious to hear your viewpoint because when I, it's funny, right? Because I've played cops before. You and I, have, you and I have talked. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like when I got spiral and I called you up and I was like, "Hey, I'm a chief." I want credit for amending that. Uh, <laughs> the what is it? The, the what do you write? The, the script. The script. I oh my god. Okay, level. we're just gonna sidetrack for a second. So when I got, so Mark and I have known each other for a while now, and we always sort of go back and forth on when is Mark gonna make chief? When is he gonna make chief? Right. <laughs> so then I get spiral. And the role on Spiral is chief of police. So I, I called up Mark when I got that and I was like, I made chief before you. <laughs> I, I cried a little bit, to be honest, but it's okay. It's okay. The days, but, the odds of me making chief are really slim. So I'm, gonna, glad, gonna, I'm glad you made it. So you're you're my chief, made it. always. But just so a little bit of Hollywood trivia, but I did, you know, the writer Josh Stolberg was so cool about that that I could change the script and you and I talked and based on everything that I know about you and what you do, and I would call you up and be like, is there any chance that like the chief of police would walk down into a basement when there's a serial killer out to kill all the policemen and leave her gun on her desk? <laughs> like, <laughs> like things like that. And you, you really helped me a lot. And, and we really did. We tweaked the script. We tweaked the script. script. Oh, good. That was well, fantastic. Be a writer. Who knows? Yeah, I think you will. I think you will. Um, okay. So back to, what we're talking about here. Um, and I'm really curious about this because it's, it's interesting, right? So you, you've been doing this a long time and we get comments from listeners that will listen to this podcast saying that they had no idea how bad the situation really is, right? Yeah. Why do you think this is still a surprise 
to so many? Um, my take on that is that this is a surprise to so many people because largely humans just live insulated lives. They just roam around. They do the same thing. They wake up in the morning, they get dressed. They're going to go to work. They're going to stop and get their coffee or whatever they do. They go to work, they eat lunch, talk to the same friends and they go home. They get on their you know social media and they watch their favorite show and go to sleep. That's, mm. that's probably the average person's life. So unless you're in this realm and you're doing th what I'm doing every day, right. you don't necessarily see all of the stuff that's going on. So my kids, so yeah. I have well, I have four kids and my wife and I figured out what was causing that. We stopped all that. And uh, <laughs> we, wait, we, wait, 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 wait. You can't roll over that. You and Rachel figured out what was causing the four kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we stumbled. We're slow learners. Okay, uh, go but, ahead. But we, um, we, we raise our kids to, to be aware of yeah. things. And so sometimes, even though we're involved in police work, we teach our kids about what to look for and, and things to be aware of around the surroundings and so on. But sometimes they just don't believe what we're telling them because they have not seen it in their lives. They live in a nicer, you know, safer neighborhood mm -hmm. than maybe where human trafficking is prevalent. They, they have not had personal friends who have been victims of human trafficking. Well, right. I have 4,000 stories plus <laughs> that I could tell them this is real. And, and LAPD pays me I feel a decent wage to combat this issue every single day. And I have undercover people who are assigned to do the same thing. So you don't, you don't commit those types of resources to a problem unless there's legitimately a problem. Right. And so a lot of people, they're just not close enough to the issue to know what's truly happening in their neighborhoods and their cities and communities and so on. That's so this, this problem is happening all over the United States. Right. You know, I, I don't think everyone understands, but like these four kids have <laughs> a lieutenant in the LAPD for a father and a homicide detective in the LAPD for a mother. Yeah. So there's no way they're not getting educated. Yeah. There's no way. You know how kids are though. It's just, do they listen? Do like, they yeah, 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 ma. But we, we tell them, we tell them. <laughs> and I don't, I don't want to be a father who's like, Hey, I wish I would have told my daughters that I know. I, I'll tell them and they'll be mad at me. And I much rather that happen than them be victimized because I didn't teach it. Right. So I understand. It's just the way it is. Same. Okay. So recently on this podcast, we explored how predators use social media and technology and apps and games to exploit women and children. Can you walk us through how sort of organized crime does this same thing and uses like technology? How sophisticated are they and how do they do this? So when you say organized crime, I mean, I'm thinking mafia, I'm thinking... <laughs> Well, I'm thinking more like the gangs and stuff like that, including individual traffickers. But I believe you and I have talked before that in LA, you see a lot of that. Why don't you yeah. elaborate on that? Okay. So yeah, yeah. I'll just say this is just the average type of um, scenario. Okay. Uh, you have a social media platform. You are on, pick, pick one. I don't want to let's say do, Let's name. do Facebook. Okay. You're on Facebook. Facebook. And someone, I think on Facebook, someone can do a thumbs up. They like something. So they can just like a picture. That, that's just very simple. And then all of a sudden, you know, you post another thing and this other like follower, like a new friend, you don't really know them, but they, they click another like, and they might just do this a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And then they'll send you a message like, wow, you're so beautiful. You should consider modeling or something like that. <laughs> and they'll, they will, the goal of the trafficker is to get embedded, so to speak, or get access to this person that they want to victimize. And then once they get, gain their trust that, Hey, this person's not a threat. Now they can 
get the person, let's just say, wow, you're so beautiful. I'm, I'm just in love with you. I, I want to take you on a date or whatever. And they'll oftentimes they'll pose as a boyfriend and they'll even escalate to a fiance. It's all a fraud. It's not, it's not real, but the person who's the potential victim, a lot of them have something they're clamoring for in life as well. People want to be loved. They want security, stability, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. Financial stability, help with a single child. Those are very common things that, that traffickers could exploit. And so once they gain that trust and they say like, Hey, let's go to Vegas and we'll go have a good time. And, and they go and they treat the, the, in this case, let's say a girl and her small child, two years old, they treat them great. And everything's great. And they come back home and there's no problems. So these guys are, are patient. Oh, very patient. Like, this, is like, this is a long thing. This isn't like, you know, two DMs and then come out with me. Let's, it's like, they're patient. Yeah. It's, I just want, I want everyone listening to understand that. Cause I'll hear like, well, I've been talking to this person for a while or I've known that person. That's like, yeah, these guys are patient. The so, more sophisticated yeah, the, the potential victim. Yeah the longer the grooming process. Okay. The less sophisticated and the more compromisable they are, the shorter the okay. process. So that's the way it goes. And so then they then they go and like, let's go to Vegas again, a second trip. Mm. And then they're like, okay, well, here's what's going to happen. Now they've isolated you from your family or your support structure. Right. And they have, they've insulated you from your um, network, so to speak. Like I could call you, Marcel, hey, I, tell me about a podcast. In fact, I did that one day and we talked briefly yeah. about it, right? And because I had resources, but a trafficker is going to isolate the victim from those resources. So they're stuck. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have anyone to call. That's why they move them from place to place so often. Vegas to Oklahoma to Seattle to, you know, Oakland to LA and, and so on. So go back to explain. Thank you for all that. Mm-hmm. Can you explain? So now they're going to take into Vegas a second time. So what then what? Yeah. yeah. So they get to Vegas and they'll say, okay, well, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go, you're going to work and you're going to make some money for us. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do it by committing acts of prostitution. And like, I don't want to do that. Like, okay, well, if you don't do that, then you're going to be subjected to some type of punishment for whatever reason in this crime world, the world of human trafficking, mm-hmm. they utilize force, fraud, coercion. Those are the elements of the crime. And for for some reason, sexual assault is extremely common punishment for victims. So I had a particular case where a girl was um, not cooperating with the suspect, the trafficker. Right. And he whipped her with the electrical cord, beat her, raped her, sodomized her, and threw her in a room. And then this happened multiple days in a row until she finally said, just stop hurting me. Right. And she complied with what he wanted to do. So then this is super common. And I want, I hope every listener listens to this one thing because okay. the average person say like, well, why doesn't the person just run away? Right. Okay. <sighs> Traffickers, they put tracking devices on your phone. They're oftentimes they're hardcore gang members. I used to work gangs many years ago. I chased the gangsters. I kicked down the doors. I arrested bad guys. The human trafficking world is by far more dangerous than the gang world ever was in my day. And these hum- these gang members are now human traffickers and they're threatening the victims. Like, hey, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to um, kidnap somebody, all kinds of threats. The point that needs to be known and understood is that the threats from these gang members is perceived as extremely credible. Right. Okay. So to drive this point home, I have undercover officers who go out and they're working and they're, they're in contact with human traffickers. And these guys are pulling out guns. 
I've had undercover officers who have been threatened to be murdered, kill their families. I've had protective details on their families um, while the while the employees working, right. protecting their family at home. They couldn't go to court by themselves. I had to worry about them leaving court and getting harmed. Uh, so the, the the credibility of these threats is astronomical, and the victims who have been around these traffickers, they've seen the criminal behavior that right. wasn't directed at them, but they know that this person's violent and they can very well follow through with the threats that they have told me. Right. So that's how you compel somebody to keep sticking around and not run away. Cause if you run away, they're going to come find you and they're going to kill you or whatever, whatever right. the threat may be. And, um, and so that's one of the reasons why people just don't run away. Right. And the, the sooner people, the listeners understand like just because you see something, for example, you see a girl standing on the corner and she's right. dressed seductively and she's obviously involved in prostitution. She's wearing a low cut dress, very um, short skirt, waving at cars, getting in cars, getting out of cars. All the things that would be signs that are indicative of prostitution activity. Right. And it seems like the onlooker, well, she must be wanting to do this. No one's there forcing her to do it. Right. But I know that on the in the shadows, off to the side, we have... We have human traffickers that are watching them. They're texting them. They're telling them what they need to do. And if they're not doing it, they're going to get punished. They have a quota and they need to make $500 or $1,000 a day, or they're going to get, they're going to get sexually abused, beaten, or whatever, a host of other violent crimes. Right. And they'll tell them, you better follow what I'm telling you to do, or you'll get more of this. Right. And you have no support structure to run to. Right. So that's why these people just don't run away. There's a little more to it, uh, some psychological manipulation behind the scenes yeah. that keep people there. First of all, thank you so much for saying that because it's something that I've, I really wanted to get across to, to listeners that even though something looks like it's perfectly fine, you don't see the guy around the corner in the car. I, I've been on those ride-alongs with you. We've seen the guy around the corner yeah. in the car watching the girls that he's running. And it's it's not what people normally think about. They're like, well, that's prostitution or that's this. It's like, well, hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. So thank you for making that point. And the other point that you made that I also want to sort of like drive home is you said like, you know, they'll take the girl to Vegas or whatever. The girls earn their trust. They've been out with the guy a couple times now. Yeah. As soon as they get them to Vegas and traffic them to another state or another area, they don't know anyone there. Right. The only person they know is that guy who's running them. And the only thing that they do know is that if they don't obey, it's like you said, punishment. Yeah. It's well, that's physical coming. pain. It's coming for sure. Yeah. Um, I had one particular case uh, where a girl was, was held in an apartment and her trafficker said, okay, you need to go and, you know, all of this, not all of human trafficking is sex related because we have labor trafficking and other things. That, but what seems to be so prevalent in the world I work in is, is sex trafficking is what we deal with predominantly. And so this guy, he, he has the girl, he has her held hostage in his apartment and she has a little child. She's like, I can't do this because my child's here. And he's like, don't worry about it. I have your child. And he, he put the child in a room and locked the child in the door in the room. And then, um, and once she committed her acts of prostitution and came and gave him the money, then she would have access to the child. So right. there's a whole element of that where there's manipulation of, you know, I'm going to withhold this from you, another human being that you produced right. and you, you love, and they're going to hold that over your head until you comply with what the traffickers demand is. Okay. So this may be a part that people don't necessarily think of, but if you have a 
girl or young woman and they're having sex multiple times a day, what about people getting pregnant? So that happens. Um, girls get pregnant by Johns. That happens. But probably one of the more sadistic things that I'm aware of is these traffickers, they want to create uh, lifelong bonds with their victims. Right. And so they will, they will intentionally impregnate their person they're trafficking so that they'll have a child and now you have a child in common. And you know how that goes. The whole world knows like when you get divorced, separations and so on, there's custody, child custody disputes, there's visitation rights, all these things that come with that. Right. And they do this by design so that they're always in contact with the person that they want to victimize. Right. And it makes it very hard to detach because this person has visitations rights every other Saturday or yep. whatever the case may be. And so they do that by design. Uh, and not a lot of people understand that, but it's a, it's a very sadistic world of human trafficking. Yeah. And that's just the realities of some of the things that these people do. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think anyone realizes that. Yeah. Right. At well, all. What normal person thinks, let me do this right? to, to create an eternal bond with each other. Right. right. That's, that's pretty, pretty bad. You know, one of the things that, that I don't think our audience will understand is that you're using the, the term pimp and trafficker. They're the same thing. So, you know, or is there a difference? Yeah. So there is there is a difference. I'll, I'll break okay. it down for the listeners, the Please. technicalities of it. So you have a pimp is an individual who we can prove derives a living from the proceeds of prostitution. So a, a person goes, they come in act of prostitution, they make $100, they give it to the pimp, and the pimp goes and does whatever they do with it. Okay. Well, if we cannot prove that the... I'm just going to say this is a girl. We can't prove that the female victim is being held against her will. It, they use force, fraud, and coercion. Mm. And we don't have the elements of human trafficking. Or or she's she's willingly doing this with them. You don't have human trafficking. Right. Human traffic. So, so we just have just pimping. Okay. They used, um, we can prove that they derived a, a living from the proceeds of prostitution. Okay. Now, let's just take it to the next level. So now we have a pimp who we know um, did something to to earn a living from the proceeds of prostitution. But in the course of doing that, they used force. They beat the girl. They threatened her and said, if you don't do this, I'm going to I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to kill your brother. Uh, they use fraud, coercion, and the person's not really free to go. These are all some of the elements of human trafficking. And so that that then triggers mm. the pimp to be a human trafficker. If I can prove that they use those other elements, right? Some pimps may not use that. So not not all pimps are human traffickers, but a high percentage of pimps are human traffickers. That was my next question. Like about it, within the LAPD, what have you seen as far as percentages? I mean, I'm assuming it's a high high number. Oh, of what percentage of pimps are human traffickers? Yeah, yeah, very high number, very high number. It's, uh, I would even say that even if I can't prove it, doesn't mean they weren't a human trafficker. I right. just couldn't prove it in this particular case. Right. And then here's another thing, a nuance to consider. Uh, and there's some high profile cases in the news that demonstrate the point. But girls who are out working for a trafficker, they're told to recruit. Mm. Okay, so they go and they recruit. And they're like, hey, come work with us. And they do, they get these girls to come and then they're trafficked also. So now how are they, let's, let's go into that for a second. Okay. Cause I, I, I know that part, but I, I don't, we haven't really touched on it here yet. So how does one girl go recruit another girl to do this? Cause obviously she's not saying come and be a prostitute with me or come and be trafficked or 
How does that whole thing sort of go down, if you don't mind? Yeah, so, well, sometimes they say, hey, um, you're so pretty, I could help you uh, get a job. Or maybe you're a really good musical talent, and I have a friend who who is a music producer. So they're approaching these girls where? High school, mall? Yes, any, anywhere you can dream up, they, they do. I just had a case in a nice part of town where a guy walked up and and started talking to a, a female, mm -hmm. 22, 23 years old, and telling her that, you know, she's pretty and he wanted her to come with him. And he actually got aggressive and grabbed her by the hip and tried to pull her to his car out of a out of a major department store on the makeup aisle. Wow. So he was there. That was his that was his MO. So um, it could happen a lot of ways, but these girls are instructed to always recruit. Well, what happens when you're a recruit, when you're recruiting, it's very slippery slope to you becoming a trafficker. Right. So when you recruit a minor. That's human trafficking right off the bat. So, so when you look at some of these higher profile cases with Peter Nygaard's one, a, a heavy, heavy duty case, um, we have uh, Jeffrey Epstein that everybody knows about, but Ghislaine Maxwell is the one I want to point out. Oh, good. How did she become involved in this? And she's getting uh, busted for human trafficking hmm. because she went out and she was involved the way I understand it. She was involved in recruiting. Right. And actually recruiting minors. So that's how maybe someone who's not trying to be a human trafficker kind of goes down the path and it's like, oh, whoa, I'm a human trafficker. I, had, I didn't know. Now, and, and that's something that you got to be very aware of in that arena. Yeah, you do. Do uh, let's say like, so let's say there's this trafficker and he's got two girls, three girls, right? I'm assuming this is sort of normal, yeah. right? If one of the girls says that they're now going to go out and recruit and get re like recruit, and get them more girls, does she get better treatment? Uh, possibly, possibly. Um, so the the way you get good treatment for, for being a human trafficking victim mm -hmm. by your trafficker is you meet the daily quotas, right? Your $500, a thousand, whatever quota they set, you bring in money and you're committed. You don't, you don't say, oh, I'm sick today. I can't go to work. It's kind of like a traditional job, which is sad Jesus. to say, but you show up and you're dedicated and you're committed. And then you're in good standing, right? Because it, this this crime is all about greed. And so if I can make money off of somebody and they keep performing, then all I need to do is just keep them compliant right. to do what I need them to do. And that's that's how I've seen it kind of play out. You know, I remember, I forget where I was, when I was researching and researching and all this stuff over the years, but I remember hearing this one um, trafficking victim she would say that her pimp or trafficker would beat her, kick her, whip her, spank her, like hardcore in front of oh, yeah. crowds. Yeah. And no one would do anything. Yeah. That she talks about how that messed with her mind. That like even this was obviously not you guys, but cops in this other city would would be sitting there on a break, like eating whatever, drinking some coffee and watch this and, la and I, she said that one of them just laughed and was like, ha, ha. because people don't think that that's a victim because it looks like it's voluntary. Yeah. So important. Uh, I go all over the country. I go all over the United States and I teach a lesson <laughs> plan, an eight hour course about human trafficking, recognizing it, what the significance is of certain tattoos and brandings and ownership, psychological manipulation, force fraud, coercion, how um, human trafficking looks on the street, online, in massage parlors. This is some of the things I talk about. Yeah. I've trained at this point, it's probably 
over 7,000 officers in, in throughout the country, uh, at every, every level, every agency. And I find it important because many people think that officers know everything about all laws. Right. Well, that's not the case. And when you are an officer and you're uninformed and you just look at a situation, you think that this dumb person's here because they want to be, you don't understand what's going on possibly. Right. I need you to attend my class so I can help you understand the dynamics of this crime because what you see isn't always reality. So for a great example, yeah. uh, you might have a victim of human trafficking that's posting all over the internet that, that, Hey, I'm into, I'm doing pr prostitution. I love it. Let's just say, okay. and there's certain, uh, maybe we'll talk about this. I want this, to, we're gonna talk about the use of hashtags and things like that. Yes, please. So they might, they might post something. Uh, it says it's hashtag RHGO. And that stands for real hoeing going on. Right. Okay. So now if, if, if you see someone that's a victim posting that on their social media, it's very difficult to get yourself or anyone else to believe, even a jury to believe that this person is not a willing participant. But once you understand that oftentimes these victims do not control their social media, right. it's being controlled by the trafficker and the trafficker is posting everything. Now, now you start to go, okay, okay. This is not something that this person is doing of their own volition. This is something that's happening. And I just don't understand what I'm seeing. And you start to understand the big picture when you get search warrants, you do forensic downloads on telephones and you're looking at text messages and so on. And now you start to understand the totality of the circumstances that you're seeing. Now you said, thank you so much for walking us through that. You said something very, very interesting. Are you saying that trafficking is going on on Instagram? It's going on every, every major social media platform it's happening on. So all of those, not all of them, but I would say some or most of those, you know, pornography Instagram handles, because I'll post and within the first minute or first two minutes, I get, come see me or I'm lonely or blah, 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 tongue, heart, flame. And you click on the thing and it's, you know, a girl with her legs spread open or girl with her. Are you saying with these certain hashtags, these are trafficking victims and you can literally buy a girl through social media? Oh, that's a tough question, Marisol. Um, so the answer is everything's possible. Everything's possible. Well, where are these uh, hashtags that you're talking about? So the about hashtags then? might, okay. The hashtags could be used to generate like-minded people to come together. So for example, and I, let me, let me give an example of if I was a trafficker, how I might use a hashtag yep. to, um, to find people I can victimize. Oh, okay. So for example, uh, I'm on a look, I, I can search a hashtag and I could find, um, I, I could search, I hate my parents. Well, who better to victimize than someone who hates their parents? Right. So I can go and find like-minded people who have posted some type of photograph or whatever with the hashtag, I hate my parents. Mm. And now I can go and I can just make contact with them. I just click like on their picture and I do what I, I've already described that, right? Yeah. I just click, I like them and wow, you're so pretty. And, and it's very benign, very unthreatening, right. non-threatening. It's just a like. And then it transitions to be more sinister. Right. So that, that would be one way. One of the other ways I teach about this all the time. And, yeah. and I, I hope that your um, 
your audience goes and checks it out. Absolutely. So there was a, there was a challenge called the is hashtag 10 toes challenge. 10 toes. 10 toes challenge. Okay. And I think you can still pull it up on YouTube and it's out there. Okay. Now the 10 toes challenge was, it was a challenge where people would um, sing songs uh, and, and raps about life's challenges. Okay. And then it might be something like, you know, I'm, I'm single. I've got a, um, a kid. I'm looking for help. I never had anyone love me. Uh, sorry, I can't do the rap for you, but, <laughs> uh, but, but these are the topics that they're, they're including in the lyrics of their music. Okay. Okay. So that seems really like. So wait, so there's a challenge that's put out there for people to participate in. Yes. Called the 10 toes. And then people participated in this. And then they would post their rap or their music about the 10 toes challenge. Okay. Right. And they would post it on, in this case, I think that was on YouTube. Okay. Okay. So now what people don't know is a, they just rapped about all their life's challenges. As a trafficker, I want nothing more than to know all about your life's challenges. Because if I can solve your problems, right. then I get to, I gain your trust and now I can victimize you. That's number one. Okay. Number two, most people probably don't know this, but the term 10 toes is a term that's used by traffickers. So I, if they say I have 10 toes on the blade, that's- On the blade? On the blade, yes. Okay. What that means is I have, I have one girl, 10 toes, walking on the street for me working as a prostitute. The blade is a term for a street, you know, whatever. It might be Sunset Strip. It might be Sepulveda. It might be in Long Beach. It might be on Figueroa and, and other cities too. But the term 10 toes, they have a term called 10 toes down. And that means you're down for the cause. I have one girl who's down for the cause. So the hashtag 10 toes challenge, it's sinister because they're wow. telling you what it is. But if you don't know the terminology, no. you don't know what you're even participating no. in. So that's, you know, check out hashtag 10 toes challenge. I'm not trying to advertise. Well, that, trust me, we're going to put a whole video up here yeah, but, while we're talking and it'll be here when we air this. So everyone can actually see this for themselves. Yeah, it's, it's legit. It, it's wow. there. And when, when you, as a parent, like if you're a parent and your kids you know? are participating in the 10 toes challenge, a lot of people are like, that's awesome. You have 10 yeah. toes. You're going to do a challenge. Do your best son or do your best yeah. daughter. And then lo and behold, that's really a way to find a victim. And are there more things like this? Um, that's the one that stands out in, in the top of my mind, but okay. it, you're only limited by your imagination. Traffickers, they reach out all the time on social media. Mm. One thing you need to understand, or, or I hope your listeners will, will consider, everybody has something they want in life. Mm. At some point in your life, you wanted to be an actress and you went on to do that stuff. Uh, at, at one point in, in someone else's life, they may have wanted to be a, a model or they wanted to be a singer or a makeup artist pick it right. or they wanted love. They came from an abusive family, they wanted love or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a, a little gap in everybody's armor mm -hmm. and that gap a lot will oftentimes will cause people to overlook red flags and just accept what they're being told because they want their dream. Right. And that is how traffickers operate. Right. I look at you. I was like, Marisol, and if I could, if I could just tell her, I could help her in whatever way. Right. And then I could isolate her, insulate her from her support structure and then victimize her. There we go. You say that so fast. I just want people to get that. So you isolate, then you cut out the support structure. So their friends, their family, now they're alone and then you can exploit. Yeah. That's, that's the, it's kind of the standard process. Right. And then I've had cases too. We, we kind of diverted from something we we're talking about earlier. No, it's great. About the, the. 
the um, punishments if girls don't do what they what they're told. These are all real. I, I talked about the guy who beat, raped, whipped with the electrical cord, all these different things. But I've also seen girls run over. I've seen them Ugh. drug over. I've seen them drug through the streets by their hair. I've seen them punched in the face, like the hardest, like a professional boxer punch in the face. I've seen um, girls burned with um, cigarettes. I've seen girls stabbed. I've seen murders. All of this stuff is real. Th and those are all real cases. I didn't just make those up. Those are real things that I've, I've experienced. And so when you add that to the, the threats that these traffickers make yeah. and their gang members are violent. And then I've actually seen these things myself, which means the victims have seen these things as well. Right. And now you start to see the solidification of why people don't dare run away. That's right. There you go. Thank you. Thank you for, for not only thank you for sharing that, but thank you for doing this yeah. Monday through Friday for the past 25 years. Yeah. 28 years. It's interesting. It's something that I'm passionate about. You know, it's something I want to do. When I go and I teach people about this, I, I taught a K, I taught at um, LA Unified School District. I taught the administrators about how to identify particular tattoos, the meaning of tattoos mm. and, um, and what that meant. So to me- Can you give me an example yeah, of I'm gonna, that? I'm gonna tell you. Please. To me, this is basic stuff because this is the world I live in. This is right. what I do. Sometimes I think everybody knows this. Right. How do they not know it? So when I taught um, LA Unified School District administrators, I did it a handful of times and I taught them about particular tattoos. And there's a tattoo of a crown that you might see on a girl. And that is very, that's very indicative of, hey, this is person's trafficked and they may be heavily involved in a prostitution ring. I, I pointed that out and I showed examples. And, right. um, and so, so maybe a year later, I get a call from one of these people, one of the administrators like, hey, uh, Lieutenant Evans, I, I want to tell you about something. And they told me about a kid who came in and talked to their counselor and the counselor's like, what's that tattoo? Why do you have that? And they keyed in on it. And lo and behold, she was a victim of human trafficking. Wow. As I recall, I, I think I've had three scenarios like that that have come up because of teaching the schools. So to me, it just goes back to raising awareness. I'm just passionate yeah. about doing it because I know we can minimize the number of victims by the victims, by potential victims, regular Joe Blow people readily recognizing threats. That's right. That now we can protect them. Uh, just the fact that I, I don't even know if my audience got that. This girl was being trafficked, being controlled, but she was still going to school. Yep. It happens all the time. It's not uncommon. Right. Because again, if I'm threatening to kill your mom, right. uh, I can keep you coming back. It, think about it. This is a kind of silly example, but if you put out food every night, the, the neighborhood cats will come and get the food all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you, if you're, if you're threatening somebody that if you leave, I'll kill your family. Right. And they believe it. They'll just keep coming back right. because they don't want to jeopardize their family. And you know, what are some of the other tattoos that, that listeners can actually look out for? Uh, the, so, so there's various versions. Like I know of, you've shown me pictures of these and we'll put them up here. Yeah, I hope you do. Cause yes. that, that helps people visualize. Yes, them. we will. That is, that's the number one thing that catches my attention. I was in the airport, I was at LAX not too long ago and I saw a, a couple of girls with this particular tattoo. And to me is like automatic. The crumb. Oh, pay attention to that. Mm. You know, I wonder if there are traffickers around, I'm looking around, you know, right. doing what I do off duty. But, um, there's other like 
uh, dollar signs. There's, there's words. So one tattoo that stands out of my mind, a girl had tattooed on her forehead. It said, uh, stay down to come up. And it's, a, it's just a phrase that is used in the human trafficking world. Like, Hey, stay down for what we're doing. Stay down and stay committed for this operation or this <laughs> empire that we're trying to build together and together keep doing. Yeah. They, they use that type of concept. Um, and they'll say, keep, stay down and keep doing this. So every time this girl gets out of the shower, I just envision she's drying off and she look in the mirror and she sees this, this, um, tattoo on her forehead that says, stay down to come up. It's just reinforcing. This is all you're worth. Right. All you're worth is, is selling yourself and you're worth nothing more than that. And if you can get someone to truly believe that right. you've got them, you've got them pretty controlled. Plus you couple that with the threats. Well, now you see why people just don't walk away. It's very difficult. Thank you for, for laying that out for us. Yeah. I want to get to some of these other um, things that I want to make sure that we cover. You talked a little bit about teaching, right? And I'm not sure if everyone, our listeners know that you teach all over the world. You teach in the United States. You teach in Canada. You teach law enforcement. You teach parents. You teach parent-teacher associations, schools. Is there anything else that people, like the lay person that's not law enforcement can look out for or how they can protect themselves. So one, I think there's a lot of value in this. Yeah. Um, and I'm kind of diverting a tiny bit from your question. It's okay. I think there is a lot of value in teaching this material to, for example, the PTA. Mm -hmm. You could bring in all these parents, you could teach this in not a graphic way, and you could educate parents to know what to look for on their kids' social media right. and so on. One of the reasons I taught this the school district people is because they are, if they become aware of human trafficking, it's going to be because of maybe a tattoo, which mm -hmm. happened multiple times, or because they saw something on a social media post or a text or something like that, because kids just live their whole lives through their phone. Right. So um, as we raise that type of awareness, we know what to, what to be concerned about. If I have a parent who's involved mm -hmm. and says, uh, why do you have hashtag RHGO, um, real hoeing going on, that's uh, on your baseball hat or it's on Oof. your um you got a tattoo of it or whatever or you're you're posting it as a hashtag in something that you're writing about okay now we can we can identify and stop an issue very quickly right but if you don't know you're like oh how cute what an adorable post my right. daughter's so good i've my seen that hashtag i've seen that i've seen on hats yeah yeah so it, it, it's out there and um awareness is key i i, I can't overstate that and so here you have an opportunity where you can get the PTA involved and, and start have a day where you teach all the parents come in one night and teach them about this. This is what it is about. This is right. what happens. Honestly, it's sad to say, but I mean, even down to like eighth grade, there's value in learning young. Oh yeah. And you know, my, my daughter, one of my younger daughters, she's like, dad, you taught me well, I pay attention. You know, she was going to go do a modeling thing hmm. and take some pictures somewhere. And she's like, yeah, this guy said, I'll do it for free. If, if you do this and, I'm like, okay, well, A, where was it? Oh, dad, it was in the mountains. I'm like, Ooh. okay, I know I taught you better than this. Was it? And she's like, don't, it's okay, dad. I took a lot of friends with me. And so we went to get a big group. I'm like, okay, that's better. Um, how about, don't take the picture and let me pay you 20 bucks or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but she was aware. And awareness is what keeps us safe. Absolutely. And I think we just, we, for whatever reason, maybe we could strengthen that. Maybe we can I agree. in that regard. I agree. I, you're, you're helping. For those that don't know, you're on my board of directors for Slavery Free World, and you're helping us so much develop curriculum uh, for schools as well as um, 
technology that we can use and utilize and get a grant for and to assist law enforcement in not only prosecutions, but in rescues as well. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, for the average person out there, at what age do we start this conversation? Because I've, I've started it kind of young. This is, a, this is a great, great question. Mm. Um, I guess every parent, ha every parent knows their children. Right. They know what their children are doing or talking about. They know what their friends are into on some level. Sure. And so you have to, you have to make a personal assessment. Like how, how, when do I start this with my, this conversation with my children? Right. Because it doesn't have to be graphic. It can be, Hey, be aware of this, be aware of that. Like I've done with my children. But this is what I'll say to the, to the viewer. Okay. So important. I don't know when the day the day or the age is. I don't know what that threshold is. Every, it's personal to everybody. But this is what I do know. If you don't teach them, someone else will. And they're not going to teach them about what you want them to know. They're going to teach them about how um, how they can be victimized, right? Mm -hmm. There's there's just evil people who will recruit your children to traffic them. Yeah. So who do you want to teach them? Be a parent, get involved, step in, have these conversations and don't leave it up to a trafficker to educate your kid. Right. Thank that would you. be my advice. It's good advice. It's good advice. One, I've, one, other, uh, one other thing. I'm sorry. No, talk one other all you thing want. Is, is parents, there's this element of, um, oh, I need to respect my children's privacy and also, I, I guess I can't, I can't tell people how to parent. I can just say I have found a lot of value in just conducting spot inspections of the phone you probably pay for, <laughs> the phone that you um, control, you let your children use. But there's probably a lot of value and a lot of heartache can be preserved or saved right. from just being somewhat involved and just looking at what your kids are doing and being aware. Right. You know, I, I started with rain at a fairly young age. She was like maybe six with just little things like, cause we would go to Disneyland all the time. Cause I'm a Disney, I love Disney, I'm a Disney girl. Right. And so I would take rain and I think it was age six. It might've even been a little younger where she loved to run off. She would like, she thought it'd be fun. Like or if we go to the Americana or go to the Grove, she'd like to run ahead. And I'm like, oh God, no. <laughs> right? And so I finally had to sort of explain to her that like, there's all these good people in the world, all tons of good people. But in all of those good people, there might be one bad person. And that bad person is looking to find a kid alone because it's our job as a parent to protect our kids. So if they see a kid alone, that's what they're looking for. And I literally drew a picture, like dots and everything. And after that, she never <laughs> ran ahead again. But I, I did it on sort of a gradient. And I'm not saying this was perfect. I don't know how you did it with your kids. And maybe we can talk about that. But I did it sort of on a gradient. And so when she started going online, I kind of slowly did the same thing. And I'm like, look, and I just said, I would just say like bad guys. Now she's a little bit older. She's a teenager. And she she really does know like, oh no, these are traffickers and right. I don't care how long you've talked to them. And how do you know that's an eight-year-old from China? Right. How do you know that's a 14-year-old girl? Right. Um, and there's, there's even like videos that I've shown her. So if parents want a tool, um, it's one of the things that I recommend. There's, you know, there's been all these sting ops that they actually video, right. And there's a couple of really good videos out there and I'll, I can put some links on, um, on the website. But it shows literally what you do, which is put a, you know, chatting to someone on Facebook or chatting to someone on this. And literally the girl finally goes and meets the guy and there you go. It's a 50 year old man. Yeah. 
um, sometimes I feel like showing them things, if, if you don't know how to even approach it, you can find things online that will explain this for you if you can't, but by all means, you have to have the conversation. Yeah. One of the things I do, I get to, I get to live this every day. So I have a lot of content, I guess (laughs) I can share, um, which is a sad state in and of itself. But, um, but what I found is when you read the news, just mainstream news, the article's not going to be graphic. It's not going to be, you know, something that would be inappropriate for a, a, a particular age child. But I just use, I use those, um, articles and then I, I just fill in the gaps with my knowledge with my kids. Mm-hmm. But but the article is a talking point. It's so right. when you drive your kids to school, like, hey, listen to this crazy thing. I heard about this today. This guy did this, this, and this. And your kids listen. Even though they, it seems like they're ignoring you, they're listening. They're listening. And so that's just one of the ways that I found effective. And, you know, and it works in the schools. It works, um, you know, even people like they have churches where they're associating with kids and stuff. You have, you have ability to be influential. Mm-hmm. And for those of us in influential positions, we should use that influence to help protect people. Your podcast is a perfect example of that. Thank you. And I think that should be applauded. You know, you made me think of something when you were saying that there's this website um, called missingkids.org, right? And it's the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And one of the things I finally had to do, because it wasn't, she wasn't really understanding this, was like, look, and I kept trying to tell her, like, I don't want to scare you. It's a small, you know, percentage of kids, but let me show you. And if you go as a parent to missingkids.org, you can literally search all the posters of all the missing kids by your state, by your city, and look at it. These are real people or follow them on Instagram. And every, you know, day there's a new child on there, Mm -hmm. missing child, missing child. This is real. And... I hate, you know, I don't want to be a fear monger and I'm not trying to be an alarmist, but like you said, education is key. And so if parents are educated, then we're fighting the battle and kids aren't finding out about this in the worst way possible. And it's preventative. Yeah. So I love having this, you know, this conversation with you. And I think it's important that parents utilize tools out there so they can have these conversation with their kids. Yeah. The, you know what, just in life, you can't, you can't live your life with your head in the sand. Yeah. Let's just pull your head out of the sand and just be aware and talk about things. Um, sometimes my kids tease me, you know, oh, dad, you're over the top. You think everything's so dangerous. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm not, I don't think everything in life is so dangerous, but I am aware. Right. Big difference. Yeah. Big difference. So you and I were talking earlier and you said something that was, quite shocking. And so I want you to share it. Did you say that within high schools, there are trafficking rings within the high school, like a high school student? Yes, that happens. So oftentimes, you know, you think about human traffickers as big, scary monsters, I mean, gang members and evil, evil people, but there are just bad kids who are involved in human trafficking within the schools. Um, maybe Maybe it's just a prostitution ring. Maybe it is just a prostitution ring. Maybe it's a human trafficking ring because it's involving minors. When you have minors involved, it's going to be human trafficking. But uh, there's been multiple cases throughout the United States and specifically cases um, that came about because of my training. I was training uh, and some of the 
school police were at my event and they told me later, like, oh my gosh, we had a, a whole prostitution, human trafficking ring being run right off of our school campus. And here's how it happened. And they talked about kids who, um, I'll, I'll just use some basic names here. You know, yeah. Sally or Johnny is, is the trafficker and they call, uh, they, they get contacted by another student says, Hey, I'm looking for some kind of sex act. You pick the sex act and is someone available? Like, well, let me call Sally, see if Sally's available. They contact Sally. Yep. Sally's available. They will, um, they'll coordinate with the text messaging <laughs> and they'll say, okay, Sally says she's, she'll meet you and go to the, um, go to this, uh, particular bathroom and you guys meet up right there during class. So it's not as much activity on the campus and they will meet and they'll do whatever the act is, they'll pay the money and then they just go home. And that's the end of that. There's another one really famous. I think this one is out of Florida, if I recall. And that one was actually, there's been multiple out of Florida, but the one that's standing out in my mind is the one where they would arrange all of the, um, the sexual activity, the prostitution, they would make all the arrangements and they would all go down after school and the kids would walk, they walk past a, uh, shopping mall and in the shopping mall parking lot was an RV and the kids would go there. They would do all the transactions and then they would just go home. Wait. Okay. So you've got high school kids. These are high school kids yes. that are talking to other high school kids. Yes. And they're going, Hey, do you want a blah, blah, blah. Right. And another kid says, yeah, I want a blah, blah, blah. And then high school kid a finds a girl willing to do that or forces her to do that or, or, They'll, they'll, it will be an arrangement. They'll all be volunt. They'll all be willingly doing this. Wow! But whenever a minor is involved, it's automatically human trafficking. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, and and you know they're doing all this off of their phones in class. You know, you do an algebra and like, oh, I got now. Hang on, I got another pro problem I got to handle, and you handle this and yeah. go back to your algebra. Now, just for the record, because I can already hear, well, what does it matter if they're willing to do it? So I just need to comment on that. Right? Because I, I can already hear it. <laughs> I, I can. No girl or guy, no girl or boy, because we're talking about minors here, needs someone else to get paid for them to have sex. Right? You want to have sex? Fine. Go give, you know, Joey a blowjob. Go give blah, 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 a whatever. Or go have sex. Why do you need? Guy three over here who's making money off of sending you to go do things. That's why that's the that's the part or element there that makes it trafficking. Correct? Yeah, yeah there's one other please. One other element of evil that we've overlooked too. Thank you. So part of this is, is part of the crime of human trafficking is force fraud coercion. So coercion could be, hey, we get a picture of girl A in a compromising position at a party while she's drunk or pick the scenario with her boyfriend, whatever. Yep. And then you have, now you control it and you're like, okay, well, if you don't do this, we're going to send this out to the whole school. Right. And so again, the girl may not be wanting to do this, but they're holding this uh, blackmail over her head to coerce her into doing something that she would not otherwise be doing. And so that's just another element that exists. And it could, that, that's at school. It could be online. Right. Um, we, have, we have cases where, where traffickers are in New York 
and victims are in Los Angeles. Now, how could you possibly exactly. compel somebody to do something from over there when you're, you're here? It's thousands of miles apart. But when they have photographs and video and they've hacked into your email and they say, if you don't send this, if you don't do this for us and wire us the money or send us Bitcoin or whatever, we will release this to your family. Mm. We'll send this video to your family or these pictures or your boyfriend or your boss or coworker. Sextortion, essentially. That's right. That's right. And that's how these things come about. So, you know, our, our world's pretty, pretty evil sometimes. Pretty bad. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. You actually explained it way better than I did. So we won't use my example. We use his. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, Mark, before I let you go, is there anything else? You know, we've got a lot of listeners. We've got a lot of parents that listen. We've got a lot of teenagers. We've got moms and dads. Um, is there anything that you, we haven't covered that you would want to say to them? Uh, a handful of things. One, I mentioned, I'm re reemphasizing, be involved. Be involved, be involved, be involved. To the kids, listen to people who, who have been down the road a little longer than you and just lend credibility to what they're telling you. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. My One of my daughters, my youngest daughter, she's like, dad, you're always so over the top and she wants to go hang out at the mall. And I'm like, we're not going to hang out at the mall. We're going to go <laughs> shop at the mall. You want to go shop at the mall and buy something, come back? No problem. I know that there are scenarios wherein traffickers could recruit at the mall. Right. So even though my daughter hasn't seen it, my daughter hasn't been on ride-alongs with me and hasn't seen these people or these activities, if she will listen to me, I'm, I'm going to help her be safe. Right. Because this is something, once you, when you're the victim of this, it's very difficult to recover from. The psychological damage, um, the physical damage, and so on. So avoidance, you know, a pound of cure. What's the, what's the thing? A teaspoon of... Medicine's worth a pound of cure or something like something that. Something like that. We'll find the, and then the, yeah. the, we'll put this graphic down here that explains it makes us sound way more sophisticated yeah. than we just did. So, so <laughs> we can take an a, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. There you go. Thank you. Teamwork there. <laughs> so, um, so that's, that's super important. And if you could get kids to realize it'd be great. I know I, I, I hounded on this, but it's so important. Yeah. Parents do not sit back and just trust that your, um, school leaders are just going to take care of your kids. I'm not knocking at school leaders, but parents need to be engaged. They need to be involved. Yeah. And they should be saying, we want to put something on like this. We want yes. this type of training. We want to understand and know, because here's the thing. If 50 parents know, they probably have multiple children. Right. So maybe a hundred children are taught, but those those parents have siblings and aunts and uncles and, and friends this becomes a topic right and they start to share this information and now it grows and spreads and the more the more i do this the more i say i have to keep getting out and talking to people hmm. the reason this is the one thing that just resonates with me so much i was doing a training in salt lake city utah okay there was about 300 law enforcement officers there at the end of the day i finished teaching i pack up my stuff i go to walk out of the the um the, the warehouse facility yeah and uh and this fbi agent stops me and she says mark that was that was awesome training i was thank you so much for for teaching me she goes i'm so sad that i've been an fbi agent for 30 years i'm retiring in one month Oof. and i wish i would have known this so much sooner and that that is what kind of motivated me to keep going 
and keep working and keep educating. Cause sometimes I wonder like, am I making a difference? <laughs> and then when I hear that, it's like, okay, Mark, just keep going, just keep going. And I'll give what I can give. And, you know, hopefully I've helped people. I've rescued people. Um, and then maybe the last thing yeah. is that I have rescued children from, I've rescued police officers, children. I've rescued attorneys, children. Um, there people who are influential in their community, people who are engaged. Right. This crime does not just rest on um, runaways and kids in the foster system. That While that does happen, throw that singular concept out. Mm. This is permeating all segments of society. I've, I've rescued kids from wealthy families, poor families, and everywhere in between. Right. And so um, the prevalence of this crime is... It's, it's, it's sad to say, but it's everywhere. Yeah. And the internet helps facilitate it. We commit crimes. Uh, I don't commit crimes. <laughs> let, me, let me rephrase. I knew what you meant by we. People yes. commit crimes in their homes in the comfort of being concealed behind a video monitor. Right. And so that also helps facilitate human trafficking. And the more we know, the less likely we'll be victimized. And I can't really emphasize that anymore. Thank you for saying that. And, and thank you for pointing out that it's this crime doesn't know any color of skin, doesn't know any socioeconomic situation. It's just, is there a kid available? It's that simple. So thank you for pointing that out. Thank yeah. you. I want to thank Lieutenant Mark Evans of the LAPD for being here today. I am so thankful that we have people like him, the LAPD, and all law enforcement out there fighting for women and children. And to our followers, I want to say thank you for being part of this mission, for taking the time to listen, and for spreading the word. Please be sure to follow us or click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also visit us at www.slaveryfreeworld.org. And lastly, we really do appreciate all the positive reviews as it helps us get this information to as many people as possible. That's all for now. Until next time, everyone stay safe. Thank you.